Isn't this the point of therapy? Frustrated with your pain or injury? That sucks, but I'm here to help. Hi, my name is Denise DeShutler and I'm a body worker and educator. Why is it so hard to find the care we need to feel better? Most of my clients have asked that question for years until we started working together. Now I'm gonna help you find those answers. I'll explore different health disciplines and chat with talented practitioners. We'll share our insights and practical advice to help you get the results you need to feel good again. Because seeking the right care for your health can be a pain in the arse. But with me, your wellness journey will turn into a fun-filled adventure. Buckle up, baby, for the Passionate Health Advocate Show. Welcome, listeners, and thanks for joining another Health Success Story episode. Health Success Stories are episodes where everyday people turn into their own health advocate superstar. I am here with Amelia Zachary. She's a 39-year-old writer who lives in Kentucky. Her favorite book is Where'd You Go, Bernadette by Maria Semple. Amelia is a survivor of sexual assault and lives with PTSD and bipolar disorder. Today, she is going to share with us how she is living the life she imagined despite what a therapist once told her. Hello, Amelia. Hi, Denise. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and have um, this conversation with you. Well, I'm very happy you reached out and I'm glad that you're here because I think a lot of listeners will benefit from what you have to share with us today. So, um, and I also want to thank you because I know a lot of the topics that you'll be talking about are not easy ones, but I think at least in my mind that it should be talked about more and more people need to hear what you have to say. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, so you're here to tell your health success story. And uh, where would you like to get started with that? I guess I can give you a little bit of an insight on where I'm from and who I am. And they'll give us a little um, perspective on um, the subjects I'm about to talk about. I am an author and an advocate. And um I was born and raised in Malaysia and I had a very loving family, a very close-knit family. I was very sheltered. And somewhere in my late teens, um, I was sexually assaulted. And later in my twenties, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And so that kind of pulled me to write my first memoir, a, uh, a book about my experiences and about overcoming the hurdles that life can present and when we are faced with things like sexual assault and mental illness. And I'm a very big advocate of normalizing mental mental health and um, also creating sexual assault awareness amongst um, society because I think that's a big hurdle that we have as a society, not protecting each other and not providing the avenues for healing and the avenues for um, growth when it comes to um, sexual assault and uh, mental illness. Um, I've written enough and enough is about, is a trauma of, uh, is a memoir of trauma and healing. 
mental illness and resilience and um, just what it takes for us to be able to get over um, uh, such obstacles in life. And so I'm excited that we we connected and that your podcast is all about um, success stories and how we can overcome. And so thank you. Thank you again. You're welcome. So I just want to be clear. So you said you wrote your memoir, which is called Enough, correct? Yes. Okay. Okay. And is that, um, well, do you want to tell us, I mean, you wrote that you're, you know, you said that you're an author. Um, how soon did you start writing about oh. all the things that you were dealing with? So I guess in the, in the journey with trauma, it has taken a lot for me to accept what has happened. I didn't accept what happened was as a violation for almost 20 years. I only, I was, so let's go back a little bit. Mm -hmm. I, after I was sexually assaulted, I went into this whole um, thing of self-destruction. I was, there were a lot of maladaptive behaviors involved. I was promiscuous. I was excessively drinking. I was reckless. I was um, having suicidal ideation, and I thought of all—I thought of all the ways I could have for me to disappear, for me to not exist anymore, because I wasn't dealing with the trauma. Then, ten years later, I met my husband. My well, then we were dating, and he was from a different culture. He's American, and so I think in American culture they were we are a little bit more, I say now we are a little bit more advanced with our, the culture around mental health is not ideal where we're at, but I think he had more insight on how it could help. And so he suggested that I get professional health and I was resistant. And so it took me many years through ther therapy to understand what it was that happened, that it was a violation for me to accept it and be at peace with it and be able to progress into healing, to step into healing. And so I only started 20 years after the, after the incident. And so 20 years later, I am now in a place of peace. I am now in a place of acceptance of my life as what it is. And I'm able to talk about it. And I decided to use my voice because I realized how much society had this culture, rape culture that we live in, that where victims are silent, silenced and how mental illness, if you have a mental illness, you're shoved into a corner and no one wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to step forward and say, I have a mental illness, just like I did, because I was afraid of the stigma, right? I was, I believe that people with mental illness are um, defected, are flawed and like are not welcome parts of society. And I, with the bipolar, with the bipolar diagnosis even more, I, I thought that bipolar people were unstable, they were unreliable, they can't hold jobs, they can't be mothers, they can't be productive members of society. And so I started writing when I realized that that was not true, that was not the case, and that I didn't have to stick by the stigma, and that, that something needed to be done, something needed to change. And our voices needed to be heard so that we can change, we can end this stigma so that people who have been like me, hopefully don't take 20 years to, to heal. Hopefully they can step into healing much earlier and discover a, a sense of self and sense of belonging to the world. 
Yes, I that's that's really powerful. I, you know, when you talk about the stigma, I, I'm sure you're not alone. A lot of people, you know, if they hear somebody that's diagnosed with bipolar, I think that is a common thought that people think, oh, you know, they might have to be hospitalized or they can't function, they can't have a job like you were saying, or or be a parent. Um when you you know, it sounds like you said your your husband or your who we were dating at the time encouraged you. I mean, I always think it's great. We find along our path of healing what we need at the time. And, you know, he did. It sounds like he encouraged you, but you were the one to ultimately make the choice to get help. So when, before, you know, you approached that with him, did you have do you remember any thoughts that you had about is there another way or like you wanted to get out of the drudge? Um, I didn't you know, understand something inside of you that, that like, cause obviously when he approached you at that time, you were open to it and not everybody is, you know? Oh, I wasn't. So I you wasn't are. open to it. I was very resistant because I was stuck in that stigma that like, I'm not crazy. Like, what are you talking about? There's not, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm, I'm not crazy. I'm fine. I'm just having a hard time. I'm just struggling with some things like I'll figure it out and everything will be fine. And he had to point out to me, like, because we were living together at that point. And so I think living with, living together with someone uh, offers an, a very intimate view of like what's going on in my life. Right. Mm -hmm. So he was, he was like, well, it's not healthy or productive to be drinking all night. It's not healthy or, or productive to be doing reckless things and like, or, or overspending or, um, being out of control, lashing out at strangers in public. And like these things that he was pointing out to me, I was like, whoa, like, and then he's like, it's not normal. It's not healthy to be thinking about death all the time. It's not normal and healthy to try to kill yourself, which I tried. And so that was the last straw, I guess, when I, that was very obvious to me that I did try to kill myself. And yes, that is not healthy. That's not like a, typical reaction of a normal on I, I hate using the word normal a typical a, a typical reaction of any person when they're angry or sad wanting to kill yourself is something else altogether and that wasn't um it wasn't something that was I, I that I should be thinking about and so that's when I kind of agreed to see a mental health professional. I, I agreed to see a psychotherapist. However, when we were, when we first met, I didn't do much of the talking. We met together with my husband and he, um, he would talk and he would ex explain and deliver all the um, reports on like my behavior or like my thinking or things that were concerning him. And I just kind of sat there because I was not participatory. I didn't want to be part of it. I mean, I was sure, I was so sure that they were going to put me in a hospital. Mm. And that was something that I didn't want. And I said, like, I'm, I'm not crazy. I'm fine. Like, I'm not going to a hospital. But no one ever mentioned going to a hospital. They were just talking about, like, let's talk about, let's talk about the ground rules when we, when we have therapy and how this is going to help you. But I didn't understand the process. I had no um, base knowledge on what it meant to, to receive mental health uh, treatment. And so I was resistant, but then as we went along, I understood more with the exposure to treatment. I understood more. And like, it was like a psych class for me during, 
um, therapy. He was explaining to me what this is. This, these are trauma responses, and these are very typical trauma responses. These are very typical bipolar behavior, and like these are symptoms, and the, all these things are symptoms. And then it was like an aha moment, like, oh, I do have this, don't I? Like, okay, like I get this, and now I'm going to step forward and I'm going to work. I'm going to do the work it, need, it takes to heal. Wow. I. I can't imagine that have been uh, really scary for you, <laughs> like you know, especially if you if you thought you know opening your mouth would lead to hospitalization. I can't imagine how scary that would have been. And I think that is that is the circumstance for a lot of people, right? Nobody wants to say that they have a mental issue because of the stigma mm-hmm. that you're going to be put in the hospital or you're going to be ostracized or you're going to be set aside by society because you're not normal. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. And uh, when was it where you started to feel more safe about talking about what you're dealing with? It took a a few months. I think when I decided, I made the decision when I had decided for myself that this is the path I'm going to take and I am going to um, see this treatment through. I think I gave it my all. At that point, I just decided that what else do I have to lose? Like I have, I've lost all sense of self. I had lost all, um, I was not, I was not fun to be around. I was, I had isolated myself because I realized that I wasn't being somebody who was um, agreeable to be around or even just pleasant to be around because of who I, because of what I was going through. And so when I decided that I was going to go through with it, I, I went all in. It took maybe maybe about three months when I was into it and I was I decided that I was going to do it. Three months. I mean, that's pretty good. Three months is, yeah. is a short amount of time. But I mean, obviously you were dealing with it for a while before before the three months. But uh, I think it, it helped. Like you had a, oh, sorry. I think it helped also that I was in a relationship with somebody that I really loved. Mm-hmm. And like like I said, in the... In my 20s, I spent my 20s sleeping around and being promiscuous, which I later found out was a very textbook symptom of bipolar. And when I met my husband, there was something different and I fell in love. And I decided that I wanted to, I wanted that in my life. I wanted to love. I wanted to be loved. I wanted to feel that way again because I had lost that feeling after um, being sexually assaulted, I think I lost the whole sense of self of like being worthy of love or being worthy of company of anybody. And so having my husband, I, I it changed that. And then I felt the need to get better also. Well, mostly, definitely, like primarily for myself, because I needed to get better, but also because I wanted to have that relationship with him. I wanted to be in a relationship where I could love and be loved. And I wanted to be he- a healed person to be able to experience that part of my life that I wanted. Mm, That's beautiful. And I think, um, yeah, you say it was for yourself, but I think the relationship with your husband is also for yourself. Like you said, it's like the, you wanted to feel loved again. And I can imagine anybody that's gone through what you've gone through, um, feeling love, you know, is absent because you probably don't love yourself. Um, so wanting to bring that back into your life is, is really wonderful. I'm glad that I'm glad he was there 
for you. Yeah, me too. So what would you say, you know, we, we talk about culture and I'm, I'm glad we're bringing this up. We have the American culture and then you're from Malaysia around the world. What is your take on, um, where we are at with mental health? Do you see changes? Are some places better than others? How do you find yourself in the mix of, you know, kind of two cultures? So we lived in, I lived in Malaysia and then I moved to Japan to be my husband. And then I went to Canada and then I came to America. So I can kind of speak to the experience from these four places, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a little hard to gauge just because times have changed, right? When right. I was there like 10 years ago, it might have been different than it is now. But I can say for sure that like back then, um, there wasn't much access to mental health care. I, there wasn't much, there wasn't a lot of awareness around mental illnesses. There wasn't a, a lot of um, support systems for people who have mental, mental health issues. And in Malaysia, it's a taboo. It's a very big taboo to be able to say that you are of unsound mind right? To say that you have something that is different from the norm was something that was very difficult to voice when I was there. Now, I hope things have changed there for the sake of the others who are still there. I hope that things have changed and I don't know if they have, but I think like my experience here in America, it's still a taboo. It may not be as forceful I think we're growing. I think we're talking a lot more about it. More people are coming forward. You see it on TV. Characters on TV shows have bipolar or depression or anxiety or something else, OCD. And like you, you see all these things coming out on TV. And so that gives me hope and promise that something is changing. Our conversations are changing and we are creating awareness to create space for people. And I think that's happening. However, there's a lot of work to be done because like I said, we were talking about mental health, access to mental health care. I understand like I'm, I'm blessed and privileged that I have access to good mental health care, but I know that's not the case for everybody. And that, that um, a lot of minority groups are being marginalized because of it. A lot of, a lot of people are just not getting access to something that is so important. Mental health is health, right? So like, it's it's kind of viewed like this secondary thing that we just mention as something that we do, but we don't actually exercise and execute it effectively and people are not getting help. It's so expensive for some people. It's it's exorbitant and like in, absolutely inaccessible for a lot of people. And that shouldn't be the way. The way you should be able to see a doctor when you have diabetes or when you have a heart disease or you have a cold or a flu, you should be able to have access to a doctor when it comes to mental, mental health issues, when you're, not just, when you're just not feeling yourself, when, you have, when you're having maladaptive thoughts. Like there should be, there, there should be access to the services to help them uh, help them get treatment. Well, I agree. This is definitely why we have you on the show. Um, we want to make sure um, people are getting what they need. And I think the first thing is 
um, the awareness. And this is where, you know, you're bringing this out to light for people. How do you think, um, you know, for people listening and they're, you know, they're having these, like you said, these, these, these thoughts, um, what would be the first action that you think people should take if they're listening to this and they can relate to your story in some way and they haven't seeked help, what would you recommend? I think first of all, let go of the stigma, let go of these, um, beliefs that we have been conditioned to believe that we are flawed and we are damaged goods that if you're tainted and damaged, if you are, um, if you have a mental illness, a mental health issue at all, like even if you're not feeling yourself, even if you're feeling overly upset and you know that that's not typical for yourself, if you're feeling whatever it is that you, we know our bodies the best. And so if you recognize in yourself that you are not being yourself or there's something off, then seek help. Talk, talk to somebody. Start somewhere. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's your health, your primary care physician. Maybe you go straight to a therapist. But like taking that first step of talking to somebody and putting it out there, I think it's so important for you to be able to then recognize, acknowledge that you need help and acknowledge that there is help available. But the first thing is, I think, is to rid yourself of those um, useless thoughts of how the, what the repercussions are going to be should you come forward. Oh yeah, it's the passionate health advocate, Dance Break. Now get up and shake your thing. Hey listeners, Denise here. Have you ever thought about doing your own podcast? Well, let me tell you about pod to go These guys rock. They do all the tedious stuff for me, like show notes, sound editing, audiograms, videograms, and even publish every single episode for my show. They do all that work for me and it doesn't break the bank. But when I know my favorite part, they're so easy to communicate with. Seriously, if you're looking for a team to help you with your podcast, please go with Pod2Go. To get started with a 10% discount, email pod2go.app at gmail. That's pod2go, P-O-D, number two, G-O, dot A-P-P, at gmail. Yeah, and it sounds like um, you had all these fears and those fears didn't happen when you came forward, right? Yes, I think that's, I decided that I was more important than the fear. Mm. That me, myself, and my healing and inner peace was more important than anything anyone could say to me about my situation. Because I realized that when we go through these things, they're very isolating experiences because it's something that's, that makes you go inwards it's something that's internal that no one else can see or understand. So I just kind of put it to my mind that like it didn't matter what anyone else thought anymore. 
because I needed what I needed and I was going to go and get what I needed. Well, that is, that is great motivation and great insight. And it's great that you came to that point because now look at you, right? You're a, you're an author. You're a mother of how many children do you have? I have two beautiful daughters. Oh, nice. And so that was the other thing I actually, so we'll get to this, I guess we'll, we should speak about this next about um, seeking, seeking uh, professional care seeking providers, right? Mm -hmm. um, I met with a provider who actually told me that I should not have children mm. and said that because of your bipolar, you're not going to be able to manage, you're not going to be able to have children. And I was like, well, isn't this what the point of therapy is? Isn't this why I'm here so that we can manage my episodes and manage my symptoms so that I can have a fulfilling life like I want? So I can have children and manage uh, motherhood. And so that was the last time I ever saw her. I never saw her again. That's but I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, but that's a barrier. These mm -hmm. barriers exist. And wow. again, self-advocacy is so important. Like being, I, I saw her, I didn't like it. I didn't like what she said. I believed that I could heal and I believed that I could. And so I went, to, I went along and looked for the next doctor and the next doctor we moved around a lot. So I had to like look for new doctors whenever we moved, but I have this good analogy. Um, I'm going to pull it out. <laughs> it's in my book. So if you do read my book, you're going to see this, but I say, I, I talked to one of my therapists and he said to me, if you had a sound in your car and you were driving, when you were driving it, you get it to a first mechanic and they, they fix it and they say they fix it. And then you take it and you drive again. And he's still making that noise. What do you do? I said, well, you go and fix it again. So yeah, you go and fix it again. And then he's still making that sound. What do you do? Then I was like, okay, I get what you're saying. <laughs> and so like the looking for healthcare providers is not the easiest thing, but it is something that's very important that we find one that fits us, that suits us, that gives, is willing to work with you and for you. And I think that's, that was a very, um, important part of my, my journey in treatment, finding doctors that will work with me. And I think that has worked well. I have two beautiful daughters now, despite what the, the first therapist has said, I have two beautiful daughters and I'm in motherhood and I'm doing all the mom things and I'm managing. I have my episodes. I do. I still go up and down and I have my hypomanic episodes and I have my um, depressive episodes, but I, I still manage to run my household it is possible. I love that. Oh my gosh. I, first off, that analogy is great. And I love that it's coming from your mouth versus mine. Cause I say, I don't have that analogy, but you know, that is exactly what I speak about and why we have this show is, um, you just put it so well. It's, it's just like, yeah, you got to meet with the provider that works with you. I always say meet in the middle. You need to be heard you know yourself better than anyone else and the practitioner knows their craft. And I'm so glad that that stuck with you because I'm always, you know, when I have people on for the health success stories, it's always, what was it? What made you persevere? And it looks like that analogy is just exactly what you symbolize. You know, you just kept going and you refuse to, you know, no, I want to be a mother. I mean, everyone has a right to be a mom. Everyone has a right to live the life they want no matter what's going on. I always say this, like what I'm doing 
for myself, my healing journey has been so that I could live a life that I imagined. It's not like people say that, right? Live, live, live your best life and like do your best and like get everything in life that you want. But what does that mean? Like, does that mean material gains? Does that mean relationships? Does that mean stature and uh, privilege? Like, what does it even mean? It means different things. Not that those things are not um, things that are to be wanted. Some people want those things, but what is it that you want? I want the life that I imagined for myself and I'm out to get it. And so that was the fire burning for my um, healing journey. Well, congratulations. I think it's great. I just... Oh, it pains me to hear. And, you know, and I'm sure it's also awareness and education on, you know, providers that say that, but it does pain me when people are limited before they even get started. And I'm just so glad you are sharing that with us. And I think people listening, you know, you are living proof and, you know, sometimes you just can't take no for an answer if this is what you want to do, or you feel that you're destined to do, or just, you know, the attempt to live your life. It's like, you find the people, you find the help, you find the tools, you find the resources and, and you're living proof. And I just think that's fantastic. And I'm so happy you're sharing that with us today. Thank you. Um, we were talking about this um, seeking providers and I just thought to myself where like um, people always say to me that, um, well, all you need to do is talk to someone. Right. And like, just, just talk to somebody and like talk to your best friend, talk to your mom, talk to your sister, like it, it will get better. And that's not the truth about therapy. And in order to heal, therapy was a very important part of my, uh, the puzzle that I needed for me to get better and feel better and get into recovery. And talking to a therapist is talking to a skilled professional who is trained to deal in in crisis to deal in um, the diagnosis itself. And so I think it's very important that people seek that help, even though it's difficult. Yes, yes, for sure. And uh, great advice about that too. I think, um, or at least I would say my guess is, it's nice to talk to friends and family, you know, even one just to talk about it, right? I'm sure in the beginning, like you said yourself, uh, most people don't even talk about it. So it's more of the practice of speaking and then, yeah, then seek professional help because they are trained and skilled and deal with, you know, issues that people are dealing with versus a, a family member. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was going to ask you, do you know, um, you know, cause I, I feel like people listening, they're probably like, wow, we don't know a lot of people that, you know, have the diagnosis that you have and also mother of two children. How in your life are you finding, you know, is this becoming, you're, you're finding more people dealing with what you're dealing with and, and living the life that they want. Are you finding that more often? Are you, you know, you're seeking out, is this becoming more of a common thing? Are you hoping this becomes more of a common thing? I'm hoping this becomes more of a common thing, right? We, we don't talk about it enough. Mm-hmm. So it's not, I mean, and it, it's not something that comes up in conversations over the, the dinner table, like, hey, yeah. like, how's it going? Like, how's your bipolar? Like, well, yeah. I have bipolar and like, oh, I have major depressive um, uh, disorder, but like, it doesn't actually come up. But in my experience as a writer, 
I've been able to be in contact with a lot of people who have reached out to me to share their experience and like talk about how my experience that I've written about resonated with them. And so from what I have seen is very encouraging because one, people are talking about it. They're reaching out to me and saying, hey, I have this too. And like, I struggle with this all my life and these are my struggles. And like, now I have, now I have children or now I have, now I have a family or now I have a great job or things like that. And people who have reached out to me have shared and I'm very encouraged that I think things are changing for the better. Most people who have reached out to me are in treatment and are, are doing are in treatment and seeking even more things like self-care routines. Like I do a lot of meditation and I do a lot of nature walks and I spend time with my family. For me, that's part of my healing. Mm-hmm. And I, and I see that other people are doing the similar things and that kind of makes me feel good. Like, Oh, like people are doing it too, just like me. And I'm encouraged. Nice. I'm like, I can do this because they're doing it too. And I'm doing it too. And we're encouraging each other. That's, that's great. I mean, yeah. And I get, I, my question probably came out a little weird, but that's kind of what I was, I was meaning is, um, you know, as you're going through your journey, as you're writing, you know, do you find yourself connecting with more and more people? And it sounds like you giving yourself a voice, a public voice at that, um, people can find you, you know, and, um, and again, this is why you're here today. Um, your book, when did you finish your book enough? Um, it was completed about a year ago, finally completed. Like I wrote it and then I had it edited and professionally worked on for a, a year and a half kind of. So it, it was completed last year and it's been in the publishing process. So it's coming out in October, um, October 18th, 2022. All right. That's very exciting. Congratulations. And thank um, you. You're welcome. Where, where, you know, now that yeah, people will probably be interested in the book. So where could people find that? Um, you can, um, it's available on Amazon and if anywhere books are sold, bookshop.org or Barnes and Noble. Um, I, thrift books. I can't think of them all the list, like anywhere you buy books, you're, you should be able to buy my book okay. and you can find it on my website, ameliazachary.com. I offer a signed copy for anyone who's interested, a signed copy and from me and on, on my website. And you can also find the links to where to buy them on my website. Okay, great. And we'll put that in the show notes so people will have access to your website and then they can be able to find the book. Um, on your website, do you have any other uh, resources or tips or advice? Uh, what's going on with the website for people? So. I write a blog as a memoirist. I, I am sharing my experiences on different um, themes in life. I write about parenting. I write about my bipolar episodes. I write about my um, sexual assault awareness pieces. And so that's on my blog. And of course, like I think a good resource now, if you've heard that um, the National Suicide Crisis Line is um, 988, a number that we can all remember. It's easier for us to remember. If we are ever in crisis, you can reach that number very easily, 988. And for sexual assault um, survivors, uh, you can reach 
rain on rain.org or chat uh, or online.rain.org, R-A-I-N-N. Okay. Great, because we can um, also put that on the show notes there. So if people are listening and are watching, um, we can still have that information there for people. And and that's, I mean, that's that's why you're here. I'm I'm so happy that you know you've had a long journey, and it sounds like you're living the life you imagined, which is excellent. And now you have a book coming out, and you're still continuing giving out resources, which is I just think is so valuable. And so anybody listening, whether yourself or someone you know dealing with any of these issues and needs some help, I think uh, Amelia is a great. I don't like to say the word inspiration because I feel like that could be overused, but you know, you are a living being proof, you know, as a human being going through, which a lot of people put as a taboo and just living a, a great life. And I'm just happy that you're here to share that with us. Thank you. You're welcome. Is there anything else um, you would like to you know, share any last bit advice besides that analogy, by the way, because that was amazing. But um, any, you know, anything else you're like, okay, if, if, you know, if they were on the phone with you right now, what would one thing you want to share or leave with our listeners? That there is hope on a dimly lit path when you have mental illness, like I have many times that I felt alone and I felt like that I wasn't going to make it. I just want anyone who's listening to understand that there is hope. Just mentally prepare yourself for moments of weaknesses and tell yourself that there is hope and there is a way out and there is a way to heal. There's a path to healing. There's a path to inner peace. There's a path to the life that you have imagined. Yes, you heard it from Amelia, everyone. Um, She is living proof. Thank you so much, Amelia, for sharing your story and and giving some guidance on how others can can go on a path that's right for them. Thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. And I hope that it's been helpful and um, productive for people who have been listening. Thanks for joining the Passionate Health Advocate Show with your host, Denise DeShetler. Like what you see and hear? Then subscribe to our YouTube channel and share this podcast with those who need to hear it. Mm-hmm.